A number of years ago, I had the opportunity uh, to go with a, uh, an OPP officer for a ride-along for an evening. And it was kind of interesting uh, for me with uh, that evening's work and the different things that he was confronted with. And he told me if anything got hot, he'd have to ditch me wherever I was, and it didn't get that hot. But I found that there was something interesting between how I looked at life and how he looked at life. And I got this sense that, uh, that there, was, there was one person that had to be confronted, and we you know, found that person, and I'm listening, and, and he came back to the car and he said to me, you know, that, that guy's lying. And being a pastor, I'm kind of hopeful. I kind of, you know, I, I kind of want to believe in people. I want to believe the best about people. And it was, I, I found like his approach almost was like, from a police standpoint, well, guilty until proven innocent. And I'm, you know, I'm, you know, trying to just say, I, I think, you know, the, the, the guy's telling the truth, and he would see through that. And, uh, you know, as a pastor, I want to say this, that I believe with all my heart that most of you who are here today really have a deep desire to follow Christ to follow him more closely, to be able to trust him for more in your life, um, to be more conformed to the image of Jesus. I feel feel like when it comes right down to it, most of you really are there in in your heart. You want to have a more robust faith, a more courageous faith. You want to be able to trust God for things that are, well, they're difficult and they're challenging and it may cost you, but, but to stand up for Christ in those situations, I think you wish you had that. And I wish that I had a greater sense of faith. And uh, I'm not naive, though. I know some of you are here because you have to be here. Somebody's made you be here. And you'll come, and you'll put in your time, and you may zone out, or, or you may catch something a little bit, but you're really not that interested. Um, some of you are trying to figure it out. You're not quite there yet. You'd like to know, and, and you're testing the water a little bit, listening, and, and uh, maybe asking questions, and, and that's great, too. And some of you are here because... You believe it's really a good thing to do. You're not really that invested, but it's a good thing. And, and maybe it'll, God will look at his attendance record and he'll go, oh, yeah, so-and-so was there. He was at church. And I'll give him a check mark and, and maybe curry a little favor with God or keep him off your back or something like that. And some of you are into some really bad stuff. And you know it. And and when I say that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Whatever it is in your life, bad stuff, nothing that you want to talk about at all, nothing that that you want, but you're you're really trapped with some stuff in your life. Um, After all, the Bible says, we don't wage just a flesh and blood battle. This isn't just on a purely human level. I mean, these are demonic powers that are working to keep us from doing what God wants and getting us into all kinds of garbage and trouble. But at the heart of it, most of us, I think, really long to be more, to be, have a greater faith, to have a greater connectedness to God. We just don't know how to do it. We're just not sure how that will happen in our life. And I trust that 
if that's you, that over the next three, few weeks, we'll share some things that will be helpful for you to realize that growth in your, in your spiritual walk, that you would be more like Christ, that you would love him more, that you would be more faithful to him. Um, we're beginning a, a new set of uh, messages that um, are called Catalyst for Spiritual Growth. Catalyst for Spiritual Growth. And um, uh, if I was never that, okay, I was never that good in chemistry, but I thought, man, I, I wish I could help demonstrate this for you. A catalyst, I'll give you a definition. A catalyst is, it's a substance that increases the rate of a chemical reaction without itself undergoing any permanent chemical change. So you can have something and add a catalyst to it and have it do something at an accelerated rate that it normally wouldn't be able to do. And so uh, I thought, well, I would try and illustrate this for you. So watch this for what it's worth. I'm going to attempt to demonstrate for you uh, what happens when you add a catalyst to something else. Now I've got hydrogen peroxide here, which is two hydrogen molecules, two oxygen molecules. And uh, it's actually in a state of giving off oxygen and water. But the process takes so long that you'd never see it or recognize it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put I'm gonna put some hydrogen peroxide in here. And while it's actually doing something, we're going to try and accelerate that by using a catalyst. The catalyst I'm using here is manganese dioxide. So let's see what happens when I put this into that solution. You can see right away how it's bubbling, how the oxygen is being given off. Wow, that is cool. Now what happens here too is it doesn't affect the manganese dioxide. That can be used over and over again millions of times as a catalyst, but here it had an effect of accelerating the process of releasing oxygen molecules. So here we are. Okay, I want to show for you the process of catalysis. I'm going to take uh, some hydrogen peroxide and we're going to put this into this cup. And uh, uh, just to help show how this goes, I'm going to use some dish detergent and put that in here, give it a squirt. And uh, for fun, let's just add a little color to this too. So I'm going I'm to take this food coloring and I'm going to put a little bit in here. And then we need something to catalyze this. So I'm going to be using here uh, some yeast. So let's see what happens when we add the yeast now 
to this solution. You see it giving off the oxygen. Uh, it, it bubbles, it foams a little bit because of the, um, because uh, of the dish detergent we have in there. And you see it giving off all of this oxygen more and more and more. And uh, this is just growing. I don't know what's going to happen with this. It's uh, here. Go. It's going to overflow. Oh boy. So that solution, when catalyzed, produces all this oxygen. It gives off this oxygen. It accelerates that whole process. And we see that now spilling out over. And we put the color in so it'll show up a little better. And I don't know how long this is going to go on for, but I got to get to the message. So, uh, kids, don't try this at home. I wasn't very good in chemistry. <laughs> I wasn't very good in chemistry, but um, some demonstrations that I saw actually would hit the ceiling with force. And I'm, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm, I'm going to, you know, do something terrible to our house. I thought, Gerda said, you should do it here at church. I, I said, <laughs> I think she wanted to protect our home. That was very selfish of her. <laughs> anyway, something is happening there. Two hydrogen molecules, two oxygen molecules, but it's bleeding off an oxygen molecule, imperceptible. And when you put that catalyst in, it accelerates that process greatly. Well, that happens in our lives too. There, there can be catalysts in our life that accelerate spiritual growth. And, and um, so it's really, it's really critical that we get a, get a hold of this concept because God wants, as we saw from a few weeks ago, God wants us to change. We should all be in the process of change, to becoming more like Jesus, to growing in grace and faith and trust in the Lord and all of that. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to look at five catalysts that God uses to grow our faith. Um, first one is practical teaching. The second one is providential relationships. Thirdly, pivotal circumstances. Fourthly, uh, personal ministry. And fifthly, uh, private devotions or private disciplines. And that if we would take and make use of the things that God gives us, we will see spiritual growth. And some of, the, of what we had hoped for, that we wish we, and we pray for, we will see realized. So the first one of these in this message is... Um, practical teaching. Practical teaching. And I want to say this. The Bible is essential to every part of our faith. The Bible is essential to every part of our faith. And I want to just show you how it is uh, quickly. First, it's critical to our salvation. It's critical to our salvation. You see... Uh, we relate to God through faith. But some people have this idea that faith is just this airy-fairy, um, you know, just believing. Faith is always linked to uh, content and to truth. 
And so what we need to do is we need to believe in something. And the whole process of salvation is believing in the truth that God tes, uh, talks about, about himself, our relationship, and us. And you can't become a follower of Jesus Christ without the word of God being instrumental in your life in that way. So in 2 Timothy uh, 3, 14 and 15, the Apostle Paul is talking to his young protege, Timothy, and, and he, uh, he says to him this, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know that those from whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Timothy, you are a believer, and it was the ministry of the Word of God in your life that the Spirit used to bring you to salvation, to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, let me jump on to the next verse in James uh, chapter 1. James says this, God chose to give us birth. Remember Jesus talked about you must be born again, new birth into a living hope. All, he chose to give us birth. How? Through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. That new birth came through the word of truth. That's the Bible. In Romans 1.16, the Apostle Paul says this. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. That man had sinned and fallen away and the relationship had been destroyed. But God was, sent his son and he, he came and lived a perfect life and died on the cross and offered salvation to us. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of that. I will stand up and proclaim the gospel wherever I am. Because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentiles. So, so our salvation is tied in with the Word of God. The Word of God is the content that we believe to enter into God's family, to find that forgiveness and acceptance with Him. Well, if the Word of God informs us and the Spirit of God drove that home to make sure that, we would, uh, that would invite us into the family of God. Well, the second thing is, it's crucial to our spiritual growth. Not only is it stepping into the family of God, becoming a believer, the Word of God is crucial to our spiritual growth. You can't grow without the Bible. You can't develop spiritually. You can't trust more without the Bible. In 1 Peter 2.2, 2, Peter says this, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up. In your salvation. What is he saying? He said, just like you take a baby, you've got you've to give that baby milk to sustain it, to, to help that baby grow. So it is in our lives. When you become a Christian, you are a baby Christian. You are, are, are a little infant. And what you need is pure spiritual milk. He's talking about the Word of God. That's pure spiritual milk that nourishes us, that we may grow up in our salvation. Well, uh, that's a diet suitable for babies, but we're not supposed to stay at the baby stage all of our life. And so thirdly, it's necessary for spiritual maturity. It's necessary for spiritual maturity. Now, Hebrews 5 and verse 12 says this. 
the, the, the writer of Hebrews is really calling these people out because they've been believers for long enough that they should have had some pretty serious spiritual growth in their life, but they didn't. Here's what he says. Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again, the ABCs of your faith. You need milk, not solid food. That was an indictment on them. They should have grown. The ministry of the word should have produced in them a growth. But they couldn't, they were still on pablum. Imagine that. Can you see a 35-year-old person eating pablum three times a day? No, that's crazy. We're supposed to grow. There was expected growth. And that's through the word of God. You cannot accelerate your spiritual growth without the Bible, without God's Word being involved in it. See, you can be a Christian for 60 years and never grow. You can have one year's experience 60 times, or you can grow year by year by year. How's it going in your life? Are you growing? Have you seen growth and progress in your life? Or are you the same place you were when you came to faith in Christ two years ago, five, 10, 50 years ago? tragic because that growth is produced by the ministry of the word of God in our life. The Bible is essential to growth. Secondly, teaching the Bible is central to the ministry of the church. Teaching the Bible is central to the ministry of the church. Jesus' ministry is largely preaching and teaching. Say, well, He did a lot of miracles. He absolutely did a lot of miracles, but his primary task was not to do miracles. He he did tons of miracles. His chief task was preaching. And when you read through the Gospels, um, you'll hear the teaching and preaching ministry of Jesus. In fact, Matthew uh, 11.1 shares with us a day in Jesus' life. After Jesus finished instructing his 12 disciples... He went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. This is a typical kind of statement that you see repeated over and over in the Gospels. He is is a teacher, a rabbi they called him. They came to listen to him. He healed, he loved, he cared for, yes. But his primary focus was preaching and teaching. From place to place, Jesus taught on the mountain. He taught from a boat. He he taught on the seashore. He taught at the synagogue. He taught in homes. He taught privately. He taught corporately and in groups. He taught at at, uh, uh, the temple. Wherever you find Jesus, he's teaching. The main role of Jesus is teaching in that. Well, not only is teaching uh, largely, uh, Jesus' ministry is largely a teaching ministry. Secondly, teaching is primary in the life of the church. Not only did Jesus do it, he expects us to do it. And and one of the most, uh, one of the interesting verses for me is when the church was launched in Jerusalem after Jesus ascended back to heaven. Uh, We we read in Acts uh, 2.42 this. This gives us a picture of the early church and what they were doing. And I think this was held out by Luke for us as a model of what should happen in church. He starts by saying, here's what happened in the church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread uh, and and a prayer. But notice the first thing that's on that list. The commitment was 
in that early church was teaching. They were teaching the apostles' doctrine. They were teaching what Jesus had taught them. They were communicating and teaching to others. And uh, they were teaching in the temple courts. They were teaching from house to house. The apostle Paul, when he went out to teach uh, on his tours, he went to synagogues. When he got kicked out of there, he went to other places and taught. Central to the ministry of the church is teaching. And uh, as, as per Jesus, teaching is primary for the church. Well, thirdly, um, the church was given teachers. The church was blessed with and given by the Holy Spirit, given by Jesus, people who had been gifted for teaching. Listen to what it says in Ephesians 4. So Christ himself, here's, here's an order of what was in the church. Christ himself gave the church the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Teachers. That was a gift given to the church. That was people who were gifted in teaching. In 1 Corinthians 12, 28, uh, the Apostle Paul tells us, in the church there's first apostles, then prophets, and teachers. It's critical uh, to the life of the church, is teaching. It's so important that God placed teachers. He gave a gift of teaching. I'm going to tell you, of all I do as your pastor, the most critical thing that I do is to teach you the Word of God. Of, of the, the, the pastoral care and the leading and, and all of this kind of administrative stuff, the, the primary thing that I need to be doing for the church, our church, is to preach and teach the Word of God to you. And I want you to know I spend a lot of time preparing meals for you to feed you week after week and those who come and uh, stand in this place to speak. Well, listen, while, while teaching is really important and critical, we need to go a little further with this, and this is this. Teaching must be practical and for life change. Teaching must be practical and for life change. See, we don't just teach for knowledge's sake. All of our teaching is to produce changed lives, to help people grow in their faith, to help people expand their faith, to help them become more and more like Christ. That's the goal. And uh, so I want you to look at, uh, at this. All Scripture, the Apostle Paul tells us, is God-breathed and is useful. All Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed. That means though it was written by, recorded by human authors, God's stamp is on this book in such a way that we call it the Word of God. God breathed, God exhaled, and preserved and, and developed this that we hold in our hands that is the Word of God. Now here's what the Apostle Paul says about the usefulness of the Scriptures that have been given to us. He said, all Scripture is God-breathed and it's useful. And he says it's useful for four things. For teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So let's look at it. The first thing is good for, he says, is teaching. Next slide, please. It's good for teaching. That is what we need to know. The Word of God teaches us what we need to know. We told you our faith is based 
on concrete truth and knowledge. So we need knowledge. We're not knocking knowledge. We need knowledge. We need what, uh, to know what God wants us to know. And secondly, um, it, is, uh, it has the fact uh, or place of rebuking us. And that is telling us what to avoid. To, to tell us where the danger is. To stay away from this. Stay away from Don't go near this. It tells us what to, believe, what, what to believe, what to know, and what to stay away from. Thirdly, it teaches us uh, it, it corrects us. It tells us what to change. In our lives, there are things and habits and, and practices that we have that are wrong. And the Word of God will instruct us, mm, you need to change that. You need to turn from that. And lastly, uh, it's for training in righteousness. And that is, it tells us what to do. It tells us what to believe, what to avoid, what to change, and how to live our lives. And the result is this, he said, that you will be equipped for every good work. You know what that means? That everything you need to be and do what God wants you to be and do is in the Word of God. That's why we teach it. That's why we're so committed to it. But the Bible needs to be applied. And those things all speak about what that application can look like in our life in different ways. Those who don't practice what they preach are we call what hypocrites and we don't want to be hypocrites we're called to obey and to follow now when you investigate the teaching of jesus you realize that our lord totally modeled what he taught what he taught he lived he held the people spellbound by his teaching and his teaching was empowered by the consistency in his life that couldn't be said about the religious leaders jesus taught for life change. He didn't teach for knowledge's sake. He taught for life change. And in Matthew 24, he's concluding his longest sermon that we have recorded, the Sermon on the Mount. And he concludes that sermon with these words. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, and what? Puts them into practice. Is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Wise person, on the rock, solid. What is that? You learn and you do. You put into practice what Jesus teaches. Not so. Let's go to the next slide. He goes on to say this. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Have you ever gone uh, you know, to the beach and built a nice sand castle? You work so hard at it, and you get it nice, and as long as somebody hasn't stomped on it or a dog hasn't run through it, you come back the next day, and what happens? It's gone. The waves come. And he said, foolish people are people who don't pay attention, don't, don't put into practice what they hear. They hear it, and they go away and do nothing about it. And, and they build their house on sand, and it, and it won't stand up. It won't hold. And Jesus' concern is this. It's not good enough to know. You have to practice. Well, the church's mission really involves life change. 
The church's mission involves life change. We talked a few weeks ago on a message on change, and we said God is calling every one of us to change, to become more like him, uh, to, to trust him more, all of those things. When we think of the church's mission, uh, we, we read the Great Commission, and it says this in Matthew 28, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and listen to this, and teaching them to, what? Obey everything I have commanded you. What does God expect? That when we, that when we help people come to faith in Christ, when we make a disciple, when, when we reach out and share the gospel and they say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he died for my sins and I put my faith in him, uh, then he says what you need to do is to confess that publicly through baptism in, in that initiatory rite. And then you need to be taught everything Jesus had taught to obey everything Jesus had, had taught them. See, that's, that's core to, who, to what the, we're supposed to do as a church. It's not just good to have knowledge transference, although we need that. But we need to obey we need to follow and practice everything Jesus has taught. You know, I've spent a lot of time in school. My wife will concur with that. Um, and I've done a lot of education and studying. And I found that, you know, you can, you can get so deep in studying and, and minutia in, in original languages and grammar and uh, lexical studies and all of that, And your heart can be cold. You can enjoy the scholarly aspect of it without ever having your heart touched. I remember I had a professor that went and took a course at Harvard with a man on the, um, in the area of the... Uh, theology of the Apostle Paul. Strangely enough, he was a Jewish man teaching a Christian course at Harvard. And so this professor of mine said he did a, quite a marvelous job in talking about the theology of the uh, Apostle Paul. And he asked him, do you believe this? And the man said, no, no. You see, you, you can have a, a head full of knowledge, but it, it doesn't mean anything to you. It doesn't penetrate your life at all. Um, we, had a, we had a men's group once, uh, and, and I had some measure of consternation over this group because they were a bunch of older guys, and they liked to get together. Uh, they would get together every week, and they would ride their hobby horses and have these uh, real uh, big theological discussion about issues. And they'd go hammer and tong at it, and their voices would get raised. I mean, they all liked each other. And, and they, would, they would go at it and take an issue and argue different points. And I thought, like, guys, what are you doing? Like, I know that's fun because I can do that sometimes, and it's fun to do that and debate. But the goal of interacting with the Word of God is to change our lives so that we become more like Christ. And uh, you, we can use the Bible for all kinds of wrong things. We can use the Bible uh, to feel superior, to put other people down, to show off our knowledge and, and that kind of thing. That's not what the Bible was for. The Bible was to school us in how God wants us to live and to change us in our lives. The Apostle Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 8, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. 
And I think we can, we can be into the word for all the wrong things. See, why do we do sermon-based life groups? Probably, so, you know, the, the odd time I hear just a tiny bit of grumbling about, why don't we do the life groups? Why don't we do some other thing? Because we're committed to life change. We're committed not to just filling our head with knowledge, but doing. Because that's the whole thing that God, that's what Jesus taught for. That's what we were called to teach for, life change. So, you know, I, I, I have seen, I'm, I've, been in, I've been in church since I've been one week old. Uh, that's, that's my life. And, and I, I have seen where we, we have uh, a Sunday school class. This is how it used to be when Christians were really committed. They had a Sunday school class. Then they had a Sunday morning service. Then we had a Sunday evening service. And we had a midweek service. And at each one of those, you had different content. You know, and I, as a little kid, I was pretty well schooled and I could tell you lots of the facts in the Bible. I, I used to win, you know, a quarter now and again because I would, I would win a, a Bible search thing or I would remember somebody's name. But that doesn't do us any good particularly. There was a time when we were more concerned with the content of the Bible than the change it had in our life. And, and if we're going to grow, we need to apply the Bible. And so the purpose of our life groups are, is to say, hey, all right, we talked about this. Now let's go and talk about where we're at with this in our life. Because we're not here just to get knowledge. We're here to grow our faith, to be obedient to what God is teaching us. And so I, I beg your indulgence to cooperate with that. Some of you said, you know, some of the questions are pretty personal that that we ask in the, the life group questions. And I make no apology for that because we need to be honest with each other and with ourselves and where we're at. And we need to be willing to change and pray for each other and hold each other accountable. And so I want to encourage you in that. That's, that's why we do that. Elaine uh, Jones uh, has said, the Bible is like paint. Unless it's open and applied, it's of no use. And, and unless you begin to apply the word of God to your life, it's of no use to you. And so I want to encourage you in that way. See, I believe most of us here really genuinely want to grow in our faith. We, we want to be the kind of people that we see in some Christians. And we, we say, man, I wish I could be like that person. They seem to be able to trust God no matter what in their life. Um, and... and um, we need to be there. You want a victorious life. You want a life um, that you can stand up against adversity and remain sh- uh, strong in your faith. You want to be more useful for Christ. And I, I really believe that. Well, how do you accelerate that growth? It's by practical teaching of the Word of God that gets applied in your life. We need to start with God's Word. You know what? God doesn't God doesn't give us brownie points for attendance. God doesn't say, oh, so-and-so is here, 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 here. Oh, missed, missed, here. He gives us points for interacting with the Word of God and practicing it. Practical teaching. And we're committed to that. We're committed to helping you understand the Word of God, practically what it can look like in your life, and what God may want to do And if you're going to do that, your heart has to be open. When you come here, let me just ask you, when you come here, do you come 
and say, God, I, I just I want to know what you want for me today. I'm, I'm listening. My heart is open. My ears are open. And whatever you ask me to do, I'm willing to make those changes in my life. See, that's how we need to come in. That's how we need to get connected with God in that way. And when God shows you something and you obey it, you're blessed. See, our, our, our mission as a church is to lead people to know Jesus Christ and to follow him passionately. And that involves obeying his word. So are there issues of purity in your life? Are there issues of lying or, or taking what is not yours? How about starting with the Great Commission? Jesus said, when you become a follower of me, then get baptized. How, how many of you perhaps say, you know, I have not been baptized, and it's kind of embarrassing because I'm now this old, and I was, became a follower of Christ when I was this. Obey. And, and here's, what I, here's what I find. That when we let things slip in one area, we'll let things slip in another area. And when we're faithful to God in an area that he challenges us on, we find it easier to be faithful to God in another area. And I want you to know there is great blessing in that. You remember the, the song we used to sing? Trust and obey, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And the, and the joy quotient in your life can go off the charts when you're obeying God and what he says. And that may mean you need to deal with a forgiveness issue with somebody. It may mean that you need to clear up something, deal with a moral issue, surrender to God's will in some way, but do it. And, and, and when we do that, we see God pour his blessing on it. And now I put that back into your court. There was a song I wish we, I wish we could sing today, and the music is, fits so beautifully, but as I was, as I was finishing this message, the song came to mind. Um, let the church say amen. God has spoken. Now let the church say amen. Amen. Yes. Verily. True. I'm in. I'm all in. So that's, that's, where, we're at. that's where we're at, folks. I want to call the, uh, our, our, uh, our servers to come to the table at this time to, to prepare for communion, please. We come to the communion table to remember Jesus Christ, what he'd done for us, his deep love for us, his sacrifice on our behalf, so we would not forget. But we also come to the table in a way in that we're saying what we professed when we were baptized, when we said, Jesus Christ is my Lord, and I will obey him. It reminds us, when we come to this table every time, that we, we recommit ourselves to him. The Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
In the same way, he also took the cup after saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.